It is 12 days until the elections and the public events are popping up to help you get to know your candidates. For those of us who prefer to avoid public events, this podcast can be a great way to get to know them and the things they care about. My guest today is Rick Lochtenberg, who is a strong advocate for emergency planning and system change. In his previous term on city council, he helped design the Nelson Next plan and is running to make sure it is implemented as planned. Hi, Rick. So you have announced that you're not going to run and just recently changed your mind. What happened? So my plan was to not run. I announced that I was not going to run. And then I started hearing from other people to say that it was really important that I do run to continue the work that we've been doing. And I agree. I believe that the work we've been doing is really important and needs to continue. And I was concerned and am concerned that it won't unless I'm there in part. Yeah. Okay. So the last four years, what were you working on? So a couple things. Number one is preparing our city for change. Whether we like it or not, the world is changing around us and changing dramatically. Um, the climate is changing. That is having impacts on the environment in general. That also is having impacts on the economy. There's the economy itself is changing even regardless. And then other things happen like the pandemic that also show that the world is changing. And creating a city and evolving as a city to be adaptable and resilient in the face of all that change is something that's very important to me. I love this city. I love the people here. It's like a family to me. And I think that we need to develop structures and systems that make us resilient. And so that's what we've been doing. A lot of things, a lot of specific things. Can you give one or two examples of that? Yeah, sure. One of the big things was Nelson Next, which is our vision and plan for the future. It's important that we, as a city, come together to decide what we want to become and how we want to respond to a changing world. And that's what Nelson Next is. And that was a lot of work. And a lot of people were involved in making that happen. But if you read our plan, if you read that Nelson Next vision, you'll see how much work there is to do. So over the next seven years, eight years, we have a hundred tactics or a hundred actions that we need to take as a city, mm -hmm. 100. And even then, even doing those 100 is still not enough. And we're very clear about that in the plan. It's to say, we have to reduce our carbon emissions by 75% by 2030. We have to undertake a lot of work to prepare for increasing wildfires, more severe storm events, potential droughts, impacts to our food systems. And these are, we live in an integrated food system relying heavily on California for food. With the droughts in California, we don't know if that bread basket that is gonna continue to bring us food to the, at the level that we need. So there's so many of those things that we know are coming. And we have a lot of work to do to, to prepare for them and to develop new systems 
that create a more circular economy. So one that's more localized, that we're doing more to provide for ourselves. And that ultimately is being more responsible and in harmony with our local environment. For hundreds of years, we've been treating the environment like it's this unlimited resource that we can extract. We're starting to see, or we've seen for many decades now, that's not sustainable. We have to change fundamentally how we relate to our natural resources or natural environment in such a way that it's going to be there healthy and strong for generations to come. And the city have things to do about that? Yeah, absolutely. Just as a very small example, in 2018, we learned when I was elected and in the lead up to that election that the corridor south of the city, so between Nelson and Salmo, was threatened by severe logging. Not traditional sort of logging that was, that is according to forestry practices established by the BC government, but private logging that can strip a land regardless of the slope and the impacts it would have downstream on the city. So this is upstream of the city. And we... Are you talk, talking about Cottonwood or all this area yeah. until Salmon? The whole area. So Cottonwood no. all the way to Apex and above. Trails, everything. Like you're, you're talking about important wetlands for grizzly and other wildlife. You're talking about an important recreational area for the city. And then just in terms of public safety, if that corridor is threatened because logging strips the hillside, you get a landslide that cuts out the highway, that could be a really major event that threatens the city. So that's an example of old thinking that has a direct impact and a threat to the city. And so when we learned of that, I, as one of the city councillors, immediately made it a priority and went to work to help rally the city to respond and to take action. And Cottonwood Lake, in part, has been saved because of the work that we've done as a community. Um, and I think a lot of this is done by the community. It's not necessarily done by the city or the city council, but the city and the city council has a much an important role to play in encouraging the community to respond to threats. Right, yeah. So even if the city isn't legally responsible to specific things like what people are doing with their private properties, the city can raise awareness and support citizens to take action. So are you happy from what you have achieved? Yeah, when I when I make a list of the things we've achieved, it's I'm pretty happy with it. And it's never enough. Going from 2018 to today, there's a long it's a long list of accomplishments. For people who are saying that a council is only supposed to focus on roads and garbage and plowing the streets and those kinds of things, we did that. The city's reserves are healthy financially. We're healthy. We kept taxation low, among the lowest in the province. We responded to the pandemic in a way that helped businesses thrive. We did all of those things that people say you're supposed to do as a city government, as a local government. We did them all and we did them well. On top of that, we also did a lot of things that we need to do to change for a changing world. Like we went to the Supreme Court to defend carbon pricing and were successful at that. We passed an active transportation plan, built, led to grant funding to build new bike lanes and new bike infrastructure, bike parking in our parkade. We did a lot of investments in transit and upgrading our 
transit system, on and on. There was things that we've accomplished that make us a better city, a safer, healthier, more vibrant city. So yeah, pretty happy. You know what comes to mind when you say that? It's a lot of thinking outside of the box and a lot of seeing into the future and what can happen and lots of risk management that is needed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good way to think about it in terms of risk management. So one of the top priorities we had as a council and one of the top priorities I had in my campaign the last time was emergency management. Mm-hmm. We had gone through a severe wildfire season. The number of extreme storm events were dramatically increasing. Things were getting more severe. And our management planning... And floods. And floods, totally. <laughs> yeah, on and on. Then we had the heat dome, massive heat events, and incredible snow events where we have massive... Um, Two meters of horse or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So given that, we we have to and had to prepare for the increasing number of risks that are likely to come over the next 20, 30 years. And so it's about looking into the future, as you say, like what's coming and then do we have the systems in place? Are we ready as a community to respond to those challenges? And they're natural disasters that we have to prepare for, but there's also changing policy from the provincial and federal government that we have to imagine is coming and prepare for. So for example, if the provincial government or the federal government says that we are going to be net zero by 2050, if we are going to be have 100% EV vehicles by 2035, those are things that are coming and we just can't sit back and wait for them to happen. We have to get ready for it or else the city is going to be constantly in a deficit position trying to catch up to the world. It's moving faster than we are. So yeah, looking into the future and managing the risks that are coming. And from your impression, does everyone on city council, the mayor, the staff, see the future in the same way? They share the same common understanding of the risks ahead of us? There is now. At the beginning of our term, no, we didn't have that common understanding. But I felt that we worked really well together. You know, and it took us a year to... find to build trust between us and I think that's an important thing like even between council and staff there wasn't trust because it was a new relationship we just didn't know each other and then between individual counselors and the mayor we, we didn't know each other yet so we didn't have trust and and we didn't necessarily see the world the same way but by working together we started to align and I think now we're more or less agreed the world is changing. environmentally, economically, in terms of public policy, it's changing. And we generally agree on what that change is looking like. And we agree more or less what we need to do about it. We've evolved well together and I think we're a pretty good team. We want to take a quick break here and ask you to share this podcast on social media and messaging apps. This selection will influence how much taxes we pay and what they're used for. It will determine how we deal with the housing crisis, approach climate and fire mitigation, and fix the transportation problems in town. The link is nelson2022.ca. Please share it now and come back to the rest of the conversation. In terms of populations that are being most affected, we all know that the low-income population is going to affect most from all the risks you just mentioned. 
And some people say that the plan that presented by Nelson Next is addressing first high-income people that have houses. Can you respond to that? Yeah. So, yes, I would agree that it is, it is addressing the higher-income people first, in part because they have more capacity to change than low-income people. So, for example, if you're going to say, hey, everybody, you need to change your behavior, people of higher income have more ability to change. So in some sense, it makes sense to start with them. But it's equally important to recognize that the challenges of change, when a society changes, it tends to leave or harm people more than others. And it tends to be low income or people that are on the margins of society that are most impacted. It, because they have the less capacity to change. They're really just getting by day to day. And so we have to recognize that. And we have to do go above and beyond to make sure that the systems are there that create a better world for them, a better community for them. In other words, focus on things that increase affordability, that make it easier to get around. Invest in transit invest in better active transportation infrastructure because everybody can, almost everybody can walk or bike. So improvements in walking and biking infrastructure generally are better for everybody. I personally would like to see transit become free and I would like to see it become way more convenient. So more buses, more connections and a bit, overall a better system. I think people that are having trouble affording living in Nelson That'll make a big difference. One example of that would be, let's say you can't find rent. You love Nelson. It's your home. You want to live here. Or maybe it's that you live here during the day and you have a great bus ride that takes you home to Weimar or Salmo or Belfer at night. And it, that can work. And that might be a solution to the housing affordability crisis. It, it, then it's a part of the solution anyways. Better transit might be one part of uh, more affordable housing for people that are vulnerable. So the solution for low-income people in the first stage is riding bikes, enjoy better air quality from other people switching to electric bikes and electric vehicles, and improving the transportation so they can live outside of the town in affordable housing. Did I get it right? Yeah, that was better put. Better than I said. <laughs> so the change is coming, right? It's coming one way or the other. And that means it's also an opportunity to invest in new systems that are more equitable, that make things better for people. So if you have to retrofit homes across the country to deal with carbon emissions, then you can start by retrofitting homes that are of the most vulnerable, like the lowest income people focus on helping them first retrofit their homes, which will make it more affordable for them to live in those homes. It'll create a more comfortable home and a better home. So the change that's coming anyways can be a net positive for people who are on the margins or, or most vulnerable. Yeah. So you talked about the challenges and the problems that you see in the city. There is something else you want to add on that? I think one of the challenges we have right now as a city and one of the things that I want to do if I'm reelected is when I'm reelected <laughs> is improve the relationship the city has with 
the region, particularly the regional district, which is a, that's a broken relationship right now. We don't mm. get along well. We're not working well together. And if we want to create a better city, if we want the city to be a part of a better region, we have to fix that. Right. Can you talk about why is it broken? Part of it's structural. It's the fact that the way the system works right now, the city tends to provide most of the financial support for the regional district, but has very little control over how the regional district is run. And that creates a lot of resentment in the city. It's not the regional district's fault. It's just the way the province has set up this system. It's really nobody's fault. But the fact is, it's a broken system, and it creates resentment. And that resentment breaks down trust. And without trust, you can't work together. Not well. And we see that over and over again. We're making decisions, and we're doing things that are harmful to both sides. And it shouldn't even be both sides. We're one team. We should be acting like we're one team, but we don't. We tend to think of it us in the city and them in the rural area. What can help change this relationship? It's going to take a lot of creativity. It's going to take people in those positions at the regional district who can really work well with the other directors. Because right now, it tends not to. It tends to be, we vote one way, they vote the other way, and that's it. So whoever is in that chair at the regional district has to be really creative and really engaging in working with those partners, develop strong relationships with each one of those districts or each one of those area directors and have a vision for what's better. Because right now there's not really a vision. We know there's a problem, but we don't have a vision of what, what it looks like if it's working. We just, we can't see it. But have somebody there who can say, listen, we don't like how this is working. We want to work better. We're willing to give up certain things. Like it's going to be a negotiation at first. We're willing to give up a certain things. And this is what we'd like in return for the end goal of us being trusting each other again. And uh, it's part of the reason that the relationships are broken and it's hard to build trust is because at every four years, there are different people to work with. So you don't have, so you don't get to a long-term relationship with those people. The RDCK tends to be more stable, like the directors don't change very much, in part because there's not a lot of competition generally. And they don't have a strong incentive to change. It's, there's a, this idea of the tragedy of the commons. Have you ever heard of it? Tragedy yeah. of the commons? It's the, the idea, for those who haven't heard it, it's the idea that the cost of doing something is shared, but the benefit of doing that thing is to me alone. So when you have that dynamic, the benefit so outweighs the cost So I'll keep dumping on the collective to get my benefit. And so if I'm a regional director, I can vote against things that, or I can do things that put the cost on other people where, while I get the benefit from it. And what is the benefit for them? Because like you said, it's a mutual relationship. It's affecting them too. Generally it's taxation. Like uh-huh. I can keep the taxation low on my residents. And shift the burden of things onto other people, and I'll get the benefit from it. 
And because my voters tend not to pay attention, all they do is they get their tax bill, they look at it, and has it gone up or not, that's all they really care about. That's the belief anyways. And so given that, the incentive is for me to constantly try to shift the tax burden or the cost onto, say, the city of Nelson, while I reap in my area reaps the benefits. So again, it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take whoever is in that regional district chair representing the city to be incredibly creative and thoughtful and engaged to change that dynamic. What about the jobs problems in Nelson? Is this something that the city can do about that? What jobs problem? You mean that there's the... not enough jobs? Oh, you think there's not enough jobs? This is what I hear from people. <laughs> it's interesting because many people say the exact opposite. There's not enough employees to do the work. So I think that the problem maybe is that there's not enough jobs that people want. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> because you go to any restaurant or they're like, yeah, we can't find enough people to work for us. Or you go to Whitewater, can't hire enough people to work at Whitewater and there's not enough contractors. My God, the demand for contractors is really high or people in to work in the trades, I should say. There's not enough police. The police are trying to hire people. There's not enough people to do the work. Others think that it's a major crisis for the economy because this is just the beginning of this crisis. Like people are retiring at a accelerating rate because the population is aging and there are not enough people coming in to do the work to care for the aging population. For example, in nursing, in medicine, over and over again, these professions don't have enough people to do the work. And so the consequence is that a lot of people aren't getting the services or help they need. But yeah, but it's good. If you're looking for a job, it's a good time to be out there in the job market looking for work because there's a lot of work to be done. Thank you for listening. My name is Yael Feiner, and this was Rick Lochtenberg. Next time, we're going to talk with Jesse Woodward, who is running for city council. Please subscribe to this podcast and listen to the other candidates so you can vote for the people who represent you best. See you next time.